All right, you ready? Let's jump right in. Okay, so we're talking about the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, obviously, is about the Israelites' um, escape from Egypt. Okay, so let's just go through some practical stuff here. I talked about this last week. I think I hinted at it a couple weeks ago also. Egypt is always symbolic of the world, the whole world system, ungodly world system. Pharaoh is always representative of Satan, the taskmaster. Moses is always symbolic of Christ, the deliverer. Slavery is always symbolic of sin. Amen. Crossing the Red Sea is basically symbolic of our born-again experience. Amen. Amen. And baptism. And the promised land is not heaven. I mean, some of us, might have, some of you might have grown up in churches that you sang songs about the promised land over in Canaan land and, and it's supposed to be heaven. No, it's not heaven. The promised land is our life here on earth as Christians. Remember this. In heaven, there's no giants. There's no walled cities to knock down. There's no enemies to face. And all of that was in the promised land. So the promised land always represents your life here on earth and specifically your life here. You have a promised land. I have a promised land. Every single one of us here have a promised land to possess. Now, in principle, as far as God's concerned, he's given us a specific life to live. He has a specific plan for your life. Okay, I can't walk in your plan. You can't walk in my plan. Now, we can encourage each other. We can, we can promote each other. We can incentivize each other. We can motivate each other. But you have to go get your promised land. I have to go get my promised land. Amen. Amen. You got that? Yes. Now, think about it. Where, where the struggles and stuff that we have, you know, some people think when you first become a Christian, all your problems are going to disappear. No, no. No, if anything, the gas gets, just, it gets turned up. Because now you have a target on your back. But, but you have Christ now with you. Amen. You have his Holy Spirit living inside you. And truthfully, you're going to go through issues. You're going to go through problems. You're going to go through challenges and attacks anyway. I would much rather go through them with him than, than to go through them on our own. Amen? Amen. Uh, and then the wilderness. And... Just about at some point in time, just about every Christian is going to have a wilderness experience. That wilderness experience is that time when things seem dry, the, the time when it's when we're doubting, when we're in disobedience, and, and you get into that wilderness. Now, that, thank God, there's, 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 wilderness has a beginning and an end. Amen. It's not always wilderness, okay, that you can be in it. Now, it was never God's will for them to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Amen? So, so some, some people say, well, you know, it took the Israelites 40 years, so if it takes... No, no, it was never supposed to take 40 years. It was supposed to be a, a very much, much, much shorter trip, but it did. So we talked about last week that the central theme of this story is found in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Uh, God's instructions to Moses. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. And to, it's, I don't know about your translation, but... The one I'm using here, the Lord is capitalized. It's the, it's the word Adonai, okay? And this is what Adonai, Lord says, Israel is my firstborn, and I, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. When God talks to you like that, you better pay attention. So everything, everything in the book of Exodus has taken place. It's happened in order to fulfill this particular goal. 
And that's that God's people would be free to worship him. Uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, the same thing happens. Now, remember, if everything that's in the book of Exodus is symbolic of certain facets of our life, then that means that, that God pulled on us, drew our hearts, led us to the cross for what purpose? To come out of Egypt, to come out of the world, to get out from under the control of Satan, the taskmaster, okay? To, uh, to for what reason? Why, why did he want Pharaoh to let his people go? To worship him, to worship him, okay? And that's what we are called to. We are called primarily to be worshipers of God Almighty. Now, that worship may take the form of service. That worship may take the, the form of, of a prayer life. It may do whatever it is. It's life, it's doing life connected to God Almighty. Amen. Amen. And we can't do that. You notice they couldn't do it in Egypt. The best they could do in Egypt was to follow the gods of Egypt. And that's why God had to step in and judge the gods of Egypt. You realize all those 10 plagues were not just coincidental. Okay, those 10 plagues, every one of those plagues was a plague against a particular god that they worshipped in Egypt. In other words, God was humbling the, the idols, the false gods that the Egyptians had worshipped. And Israel could not worship. You have no, we have no evidence whatsoever of once Joseph is off the scene. We have no evidence at all for hundreds of years of Israel worshiping. We know that we're crying. We know that we're suffering because God says to Moses, the cry of my people has come on to me and I've come down to rescue them. And there's another, another thing the way God operates. He said, I've come down to rescue them. Now you go. Well, wait a minute. I thought you came down to rescue them. <laughs> I came down to rescue them. Now you go and tell Pharaoh. Because God always uses somebody on the earth to bring his will to pass. Yeah, you listen to me? Turn, turn, about, turn to somebody and say, he's always going to use a person. Uh, you may be that person. And you can be sure that he's going to use you for something and want to use you for something. Amen? So, when Jesus died on the cross, it's very similar in nature to when God judged Egypt and the gods of Egypt. Egypt suffered God's punishment so his people could go free. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that you and I would become the righteousness of God in him, but he had to suffer. Jesus suffered the punishment just like Egypt suffered the punishment so God's people could be free and be let go, Jesus had to suffer punishment so that you and I could be free to come out of the world, come out of Egypt, come out from underneath Pharaoh, be free from the slavery of sin. Somebody had to be punished for that. Someone had to take that, had to make that payment, and it was the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, let my people go that they may worship me. For what reason? So that we would be free to do what? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is an important, we don't, we don't talk about this enough. Uh, we, don't, we don't, years ago we used to sing about this all the time. Uh, I'm talking, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, we sang this, we sang this all the time. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. See, if you'll get this in you, you'll stop walking around going, well, I don't really know what my purpose is. 
Too many Christians don't know who they are. Too many Christians don't know their identity. Too many Christians are still wandering around with their mouth open, catching flies. But if you, you see, if you, if you will concentrate and focus on, he's already told us. He didn't say at some point you're going to become. These are one of those scriptures. I need to do a teaching on this and go through the, through the word and talk about the things that God has said as fact. He's presented this as fact. He didn't say if you act right, I'll consider you a chosen. He said, but you are a, come on, come on, come on. But you are a chosen generation, a royal, look at that's a double barrel one. Uh, not only a priesthood, but a royal priesthood, okay? A holy nation. He didn't say, well, someday when you stop smoking, when you stop doing this, when you, then you'll become. No, he said, you are a holy nation. If we'll start talking about ourselves and thinking about ourselves and conducting ourselves in such a way, according to what God says, we would eliminate a lot of the baggage in our lives. Amen. Amen. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. For what reason? That you may proclaim the praises of him who did what? Called you out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. Why is his light marvelous? Because this light produces miracles. Yeah. Amen. Uh, I'm going to throw this out at you. It's not part of this. But go, go, I challenge you to go read the Gospel of Mark, especially the first few chapters. Or you, or you read his constant. And they marveled. And they marveled. And they marveled. He cleansed the leper. They marveled. He healed the, he healed the sick. They marveled. He worked miracles. They marveled. When we step into that light, guess what? We start... We start acting like him, thinking like him, talking like him, acting like him. And we bring that marvelous light into people's lives. Amen. In fact, if we don't bring the marvelous light into people's lives, they're not going to say it. Because right now, the church has to preach the gospel. Right now, the church must proclaim the wondrous deeds of God. Right now, the church must proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is no other entity on the earth right now that's going to do it. Now, in the future, there'll be when we're gone, the angels, there'll be some angels that will come and proclaim. But not now. Not now. Right now, it's our job. If we don't get it done, it ain't going to get done. Amen? Amen. So, he freed us. We came out from under Pharaoh. We came out from under Egypt. We came out of Egypt for what reason? To be free to proclaim the praises of him who... who Called you out. Called you out. Called. Thank God you responded. He called, you responded. And not to go free just to be saved from hell. Not to go free just to become prosperous. Not to go free just to be healed. So many people receive their healing and then they forget about the God that, that healed them. Until the next crisis comes. Uh Uh-oh. Until the next crisis comes. Not free just to be happy and content. Okay, now there's a joy that comes from the presence of the Lord. There's a joy that's instilled in us just because he's living in us. That's a a reason to be joyful. Okay, but, but again, too many people are chasing happiness and contentment. Be content that you're not going to hell. Be content that God's in you. Be content that you have the word of God at your disposal. Be content that he's given you a supernatural language to pray. Be content that you can talk to the creator of the universe. Amen? Amen. 
So let my people go that they may worship me. Worship to declare the worth of, to serve, to submit to, and to be consecrated to. Not just singing songs. No, there's a whole lot more to worship. A whole lot more to worship than just singing songs. And thank God for the songs. Now listen to this. I want to spend a little bit of time here. We didn't talk about this last week. When Adam and Eve followed Satan's suggestion, they basically elevated Satan's worth to the place that God had held. I'm going to say it again. When Adam and Eve, well, well, Pastor, wasn't it Eve to listen to the Satan? No, he's right there too. He's right there, okay? When Adam and Eve followed the suggestions of Satan, what was the suggestion? You shall, you shall not surely die. Because God knows when you eat of that fruit, you're going to be just like him. Stupid. They were already just like him. They were already just like him. They didn't need a piece of fruit to be. They were already. They were created in his image and in his likeness. Now, if they would have remembered that, maybe if Adam would have reminded his wife, well, you know, you weren't there. You were still on my side when this happened. But this is what God said. This is how God made us. Amen? So again, watch this now. When they followed his suggestions, and you've heard me say this before, if you've been coming here for any length of time, they disconnected their faith in God and connected it to Satan. They began to, look at, oh, this is good. They began to think, they began to speak, and they began to act according to his suggestion. They began to distrust God. What happened? They disconnected their faith in God, and they connected. Because how do we know that? How do we know? How, well, Pastor, how do you know that they placed their faith in Satan? Because they began to think, speak, and walk like Satan. When you connected your faith to God Almighty, and declare Jesus Christ to be your Lord, what happens? You begin to think, speak, and walk like Jesus. Why? Because you've connected to him. You getting this? Yes. Now, so w- w- what happened there? Well, that is true spiritual warfare. Spiritual, this is the first incident, instance of spiritual warfare recorded in the scriptures. They caused the suggestions of Satan to be elevated over and above what God spoke to them. You getting this? That's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare takes place here. Okay? Now, yeah, we, we fight. We fight. We, we use the word against, against the devil. We use the word against sickness and disease and every other kind of circumstance that's contrary to the will of God. Okay? But true spiritual warfare is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Okay? Understand this. If you are born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you do not belong to the same kingdom that you used to. Okay? You, you, you live in this world, but your citizenship is where? So we're basically behind enemy lines. Why do you think we're subject to so much animosity? 
Why do you think the name? You could say God all day long and nobody will say anything, but you mentioned the word Jesus. You mentioned that name Jesus, and what happens? It's like people lose it. Amen? Why? Because we're behind enemy lines. It's supposed to be that way. It's just natural. It's just the way it is. So, so though we live in this world, we don't conduct ourselves like this world. Okay? The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. Okay? On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish what? Strongholds. Now, if you went and looked that up in the original language, it's gonna, you can translate it castle, fortress, uh, a place of, of security, like a, like a, almost like a high-security prison, something like that, okay? A strong building. We demolish what? Where do arguments take place? In the mind. Well, I don't know, Pastor. I saw two people arguing on the street the other day. Yeah, but the argument started here before it got here. And, and now we're talking about arguments between who? Not us and God. Us and the enemy of our souls who was constantly suggesting things to us that is contrary to what God has spoken to us. You getting this? Yes. We demolish arguments in every pretension. What's a pretension? A pretension is, is a thought that you've decided, I'm going to kind of hang my hat on this thing. This is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to settle on this. And that's exactly, well, let's read through the whole thing. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the Knowledge of who? God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, that's exactly what Adam should have done, but he didn't. You listening to me? Yes. What happened? The devil spoke to Eve. Adam is there. Adam listens to this, okay? And they, what did they do? They allowed what Satan was speaking to be elevated above, are you getting this? Yeah. To be elevated above what God had already taught Adam. That is spiritual warfare. And I'm telling you, I, I believe in every one of our lives, there comes a day when we're pressing into God that all of a sudden he'll go, let me show you what you've really been believing all this time. Let me show you what's been, what you've allowed, what thoughts you've allowed to be formulated in your mind that are totally contrary to what I've said about you. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Now, it took the Israelites 40 years to get from point A to point B. You would have thought in that 40 years that they would have went through and sifted through, okay, what am I still carrying that's from Egypt you see what I'm saying? What could, and we know they're still thinking like they were in Egypt. Why? Oh, were there no graves in Egypt that you took us out here to die? And then they start talking about, oh, oh the, the stuff that they used to eat. They, they forgot they were starving to death over there. The garlic and the leeks and the cucumbers and the melons and all this other stuff. What happened? They start, when you start glorifying your past before Christ, you are doing the same exact thing. You forget how painful it was. You forget about the nights where you begged God to change things and you would follow him. You start going, well, you know, yeah, I used to go to the club with friends and I used to go here and I used to go, I used to, go to this one and yeah, I was hooking up with this person. You start glorifying that stuff and you do the same. It dishonors God. You listening to me? Did I hit a nerve here tonight? 
They dishonored God when they kept talking about their past in Egypt. It would have been better that we died there. They better thank God I wasn't God. <laughs> and then honestly, after, you know, you get Numbers 13, after the stunt that they pulled in Numbers 13, you remember the grasshopper thing? You know, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and, and of course their enemies saw them as grasshoppers. In chapter 14, it says they stayed up all night howling, crying, wailing. Because they got themselves so overwhelmed because they allowed what they saw to be elevated above what God had said about them. God told them, that's your land. you got to go take it, but it's your land. If you'll trust me, there won't be anybody that will be able to stand before you. You listening? But what did they do? They saw a couple of giants. They saw some walled cities. And they took a situation that was this big and made it this big. And it affected the entire congregation of Israel. And we talked about this, I believe, last week or the week before. Out of two to two and a half to three million people, only two individuals from that original crowd, not even Moses, only two of the individuals were the ones that went into the promised land from that original crowd. And their names were? Joshua and Caleb. 90 years old. 90 years old when they were taken their promised land. I don't think you grasp that. Well, pastor, people live long. No, 90 years is 90 years. You getting this? So, So the importance of here, again, Paul said in the New Testament, we wrote the letters to the Corinthian church, that we have the Old Testament first covenant that serves as an example to us of what not to do. And in, the, in, that, in that portion of scripture, he specifically talks about how they did not mix faith with the promises of God, and therefore they did without. And the warning to us is make sure that we mix faith, that we don't just know the promises of God, but we have faith in the promisor. Okay, had they had faith in the one who promised, had they had faith in the one that said, listen, I'm going to bring you to a land that's way different than the land that you've Don't forget, they've been in Egypt for over 400 years. Most of the people that went to the promised land, they probably never saw Canaan land. They never saw Israel. They never saw the promised land. He said, I'm bringing you to a place where Uh, the land drinks from the clouds of heaven. They didn't have that in Egypt. In Egypt, it's constant dry, arid, desert. If you're going to get water to your crops, you got to do it with a pump. you got to go find either the Nile or a tributary of the Nile, and you've got to forcibly take that water from there and bring it. But in Israel, especially especially during harvest times, you've got two harvests in Israel. You have a springtime harvest, you have a, a, a fall harvest. Well, there's rainy seasons, and the rain comes and, and drenches the ground and causes it to come forth. They didn't have that in Egypt. He said, I'll bring you to a land where you're not going to have to sit there with your foot and pump water. The clouds themselves are going to give the nourishment to the land. He says, so he, they had promises. They had knowledge of God's will for them in the promised land. But as soon as they got to the border of the, of the promised land, they let a couple of giants a couple of walled cities. They came back, and what did they say? The ground, the land devours its inhabitants, which is the most ridiculous thing. Because we know that's not true. 
But they got themselves so worked up in a frenzy. Why? Because they took what they saw and the thoughts of their mind and they elevated above the knowledge of God. You getting this? Have you ever done that? Oh, God healed so-and-so, but he's probably not gonna, he's probably, you're probably not going to get healed. What are you doing? And you go, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you do? You elevated the suggestion from Satan over and above the fact that God said, Exodus 15, I am the Lord who healeth thee. Heals, continual action. Continual action. You see, we do the same thing the Israelites did. Well, I don't know. It seems like so-and-so prospers, but it doesn't seem like I can't get ahead. I, I'm just constantly uh, just paycheck to paycheck and just can't, can't get ahead, can't get a break the whole bit. Yet God says he delights in the prosperity of his servants. He said, I'm the one that's going to supply all your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And yet, and yet we go, well, my wallet's not experiencing that. My checkbook's not experiencing that. My bank account's not experiencing that. My uh, bank app on the phone's not experiencing that, whatever you use. What do you do? When you put yourself in agreement with those things, you are conducting, you are actually forfeiting spiritual warfare. Because spiritual warfare on our end would be, uh, no. No, God said he's going to supply all my needs. God says I am surrounded with favor. God says the angel of the Lord encamp around me. God says he's going to open doors of opportunity for me. God's, and you see, that's spiritual warfare. Look at Jesus in the wilderness. What did he do? The devil comes to him three times, three different temptations, and how does Jesus answer him? Does Jesus come out with some worldly uh, or does Jesus go, oh, get away, get away, Satan, uh, shoo. No, what does Jesus go? It is written. Are you getting this? You know, we're in this book of Exodus, not just to learn about the history of the nation of Israel leaving Egypt. It's to get the gold out of it. How do we apply it to our lives? You cannot elevate what the devil says to you, what your mind says to you, what your body says to you, you cannot elevate that over what God has already written. Amen. When you do that, you're done. You have now put yourself in agreement with the devil rather than put yourself in agreement with what God says. Now, I'm not telling you it's easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But if we're intentional. Now, now where does it start? Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Where does it start? If you don't know what God has said... How are you going to know when the devil's lying to you? You hear what I'm saying? Yes. Now, the people who came out of Egypt, they had Moses, they had Aaron. To some extent, they had Miriam. They had people, Moses, however, I don't know how the information was transferred to him. I'm talking about before he goes up Mount Sinai and, and God downloads everything in him. He had some knowledge of the Father. You remember? Jesus, pre-incarnate, before he's born in Bethlehem, appears to Moses in the burning bush. You remember that? Yes. Okay. Now, you'll go read that. Exodus 3, Exodus 4. Uh, God speaks to Moses and gives him knowledge. There's a knowledge transfer that takes place. 
excuse me, an information transfer. He said to him, I've heard their cry. I'm come down. I'm going to rescue them. This is where I'm bringing them. I'm bringing them to a land that flows with <laughs> milk and honey, okay, which obviously translates and, and is symbolic of, look, this land I'm taking you, you might have some struggles to get there, and you may face some challenges and have to fight some battles, but it's way better than the land that you're in now. Amen? Now, if we want to be honest with each other, no matter how good in the world's eyes you had it before you came to Christ, you may go through some struggles. You may face some challenges. There may be some battles that you might have to walk through, but life now is way better than it was. In fact, your best day back then doesn't compare to now. You listening? So, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up, sets itself up. It's, see, if you're not careful about what you're, what you're meditating on, what you're considering. Is anybody getting anything tonight? Yes. If, you are not, if you and I are not aware and don't take inventory of our thought life, where is it going? Where is it going? Where is it going? Because eventually it's going to lead you someplace. It says it sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That means you can't stay neutral. Well, I'm not going to side the devil, but I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just here for the ride. No, honey. Those thoughts will set themselves up against the knowledge of God. So, so what am I saying? We got to be proactive. Pastor, this is good. Because we're told that this thing will set itself up against the knowledge of God if we don't do what? If we don't take captive, how many thoughts? Every. One out of ten? Every. Every thought to make it obedient to who? Christ. Christ. Now watch this. Maybe a little play on words here. To make it obedient to the anointed one. The word of God is anointed. Jesus is the word, yes or no? Yes. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, yes? yes? So we need to take those thoughts and make them obedient to the word made flesh, to Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to move on. So this story of Exodus is all about people being set free so they could transfer their allegiance, their worship, their affection, their adoration and submission from Pharaoh to God Almighty. So, watch this now. Salvation is all about Jesus setting us free so that we could transfer, come on, say it nice and loud with me. You ready? One, two, three. Our allegiance, our worship, affection, adoration, submission from Satan to who? Well, you know, Pastor, I, I, I believe in Jesus and, you know, I said the prayer. But, you know, I don't know they want to go, like, over the top like I see some people in church. What do you want to do? You're either in or out. What do you want to do? Because you need to transfer your allegiance. In other words, your loyalty. Our worship. Our affection. Our adoration, but one of the most important ones coming up right now. Submission. 
submission. Look, I'll be the first one to say to you, not everything God asks us sometimes doesn't make sense. But we need to submit to it. Because sometimes it makes sense. It doesn't, if something doesn't make sense today, doesn't mean it's not going to make sense tomorrow. But if we're going to hang in there, you've got to trust them. Why? Because we've already transferred our allegiance. We've already transferred our worship. We've already transferred our affection, our adoration. It should be anyway. Amen? Amen. So, our exodus from the influences of this world has to take place in order for us to experience the reality of God. The presence of God and the victory that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. We didn't talk about this last week, did we? No, I didn't think so. Here, 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 what do you want to do with this statement? We can't live in victory while we're still slaves in Egypt. I'll say it again for anybody who knows what that's like. We can't live in victory while we're still slaves in Egypt. You're either, you're either, gonna, you're either in Egypt or you're going to follow Christ. Well, I think I'll hang out here. No, there is no hanging out. You're either in one kingdom or the other kingdom. All right? So, once we've experienced a new birth in Christ, we're called to stop following the ways of the world and become Christ followers. I feel like getting in trouble tonight. <laughs> once we have experienced new birth, your spirit came alive. Your spirit came alive. That's only one third of you. Your spirit came alive. Your soul is still in there, going to cause you all kind of trouble. If you don't tell your soul to be submissive to your spirit, because your spirit is connected to God Almighty, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside your spirit. Is, is that true? Yeah, yeah. Paul said the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Once you've experienced a new birth in Christ, we're called to stop following the ways of the world and to become Christ followers. Church, listen to me. The heat is going to get turned up way more before Jesus comes back. I'm telling you. I heard somebody say this the other day. He said, now some of you might have seen it. I'm not going to say the person's name because if you hear the person's name, some of you immediately turn off and won't listen to the statement. He said, the pressure that's coming on the church is increasing constantly it's like the kingdom of darkness is pressing down more and more and more because jesus his second coming is getting closer and closer and closer and he said this i wish i would have wrote it in my notes he said if you look in the original language and that's really where we need to become students of the word to look in the original language of things Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, you find out what the things are in Matthew 24, 25, and then in Luke chapter 21, okay? He said, when you see these things, what things? All the craziness that's happening in the world right now, okay? Don't say, well, it's always been this way. No, 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 it hasn't always been this way, okay? He said, Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. Your redemption draws near. He said, now this stunned me because I hadn't seen this before. He said that word draws near is the same Greek words 
that are used when it says that Jesus on the, tri- the day of the triumphal entry drew near to Jerusalem. Remember he's on the donkey? Draws near. He said, what is that big deal? He goes, it's a very big deal. He goes, most Christians, and this is true, most Christians think that Jesus is far away and all of a sudden, bam, he's going to show up. He said, but yet Jesus himself said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draws near. Now, did he go from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem like that when he was riding on that donkey? No. He began to come down from the Mount, get closer to Jerusalem, closer to Jerusalem, closer to Jerusalem, closer to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, here it is. He said that's the same idea that's expressed about his return. So, of course, the kingdom of heaven is getting closer and closer. The kingdom of darkness that surrounds this planet is becoming compressed. The church is between the kingdom of darkness and the world. So, of course, we're feeling pressure. You listening? Are you understanding what I'm saying? So now the church has to make a decision. Who am I going to reflect? Who am I going to proclaim? Who am I going to exemplify? It's a responsibility that we have. We have a responsibility in this kingdom. Okay, we we got to stop playing games. We've got to stop living with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. We got to listen. Uh, I, you know, you came here tonight because maybe you wanted to uh, feel good about yourself or whatever. I don't know why you're here. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just everybody has individual motives. But listen, we got to get our act together. We got to clean our act. We got to just, we got to stop doing the things that are reflecting the world. All right. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters. So who is this written to? About six people got it. Uh, And so, dear brothers and sisters. Who is this letter written to? It's not written to the lost, right? It's not written to unbelievers. It's written to the believers, yes? yes? And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Because of all he has done for you. Let them, your bodies, be a what? Living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship. Don't go to the next verse yet. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Let your body be a living and holy sacrifice. Now, if you're a Jew, who this letter is written to the Jews at Rome, okay? The the first believers in Rome were Jews. First believers in almost all the Roman Empire were Jews first. Then the Gentiles came in. They would have understood what Paul is saying. He's making a differentiation here. He's trying to make a point. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Now, when they hear sacrifice, if you're Jewish, when you think sacrifice, what building do you immediately think of? The temple. Well, that sacrifice might have been alive when it came in, but it ain't alive when it leaves. In fact, there were horns on the temple, and what they would do is tie up that sacrifice because, hey, you see the one in front of you, what happened to them? And you see the, the, the priest there with this gigantic knife in his hand, you're not going to be so eager to want to get in line. And so they would, have to, they would have to bind the sacrifice to the altar. 
They didn't have a choice. We have a choice. But we're not, we're not dead sacrifices. We're living sacrifices. And a living sacrifice has a will. A living sacrifice has to, has to submit to say, I want to follow you. I'm going to put my dreams aside. I'm going to put all my wants, my desires. And that's why this message is so unpopular today. Because we live in a culture that has incited all of us to want to have to go, go after your own dream. Go after, you, you know, you matter. You, you're important. You're, everything is you, 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 you. And oh my God, has that gotten into the church. A living and holy, holy what? Sanctified, set apart for special use. Are you guys getting it? That lamb that might have been brought, that, that ram, that calf, that whatever, it did not have a choice. Now, which one do you think honors God more? The animal has to get dragged there and slaughtered or the person who says, I'm offering myself to you, Father. Of all you've done for me, Jesus, all that you've done for me, the very least that I can do is now give you my life, surrender my dreams, surrender my wants, surrender whatever you want, your will is more important than mine. Yeah. Which one do you think honors God more? The second one, obviously. Okay, next verse. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Do I have to go any further? <laughs> Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. And can I just say this again? I'm, I'm you know, whatever. If you're going to be on Facebook and constantly dropping the F-bomb, please unfriend the church. Please don't share anything that I post or any of us post. Okay, that you're, that's your choice if you want to live that way. But I don't want people thinking that this is how we conduct ourselves. If you're going to, if you're going to put pictures, oh, I'm really going to get in trouble now. If you're going to get pictures of yourself dressed indecently and stuff like that, don't tell anybody where you go to church. Why? Because the world is more sensitive to that than you think. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a... Well, pastor, I thought if I'm born again, old things have passed away. Behold, old things have become new. Now, that's your spirit. This is talking about your soul. How do we know that? Let's read the rest of it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you, metamorphosis. Say it. We'll talk about it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God metamorphosize you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So, so, uh, where do I think? Where, what part of my being do I think with? My mind, which is my soul, right? Our, our, our mind, our will, our emotions, that's our soul. So the soul doesn't automatically change when you and I got born again. The only part of us that changed immediately was our spirit. But you are tripart in nature. You have a, you, you, you are a spirit. You possess a Soul. I'm going to keep going through this until Jesus appears in the sky. We are tripart in nature. 
Understand, don't mix your spirit up with your soul. Your spirit has been made perfect in Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 11 or someplace over there. Okay? But your soul has got to be renewed. Your mind has to be trained to think differently. Your will has to be submitted to God. Your emotions have to be submitted to the word. Do you know the word of God doesn't have any emotions? The word of God doesn't have any emotions. It's fact. It's, it's, that's what it is. Well, but I don't feel like it. That doesn't change the word. God doesn't bend the word because I had a rough day. Um, whatever. The word is the word. It's there. It's, it's in stone. It's written. It's not going to change according to what's going on in our life. And thank God it doesn't. Because the things in our life are supposed to change according to what is written. You've got to have a constant in your life. There has to be a foundation that doesn't move and change and shift. Amen? Amen. Don't copy the behavior of and customs of this world. Should we start naming some? Well, pot's legal now. It has nothing to do with legality. Anything that's going to alter your mind and soul is not going to lead you to God. It's going to lead you away from God. Your flesh, given any opportunity, is going to go away from God. Your flesh doesn't want to serve God. But it's legal now. What difference does that make? We don't copy the behavior of this world. Well, pastor, you know, Paul told Timothy to take a little wine. Yeah, and and what do you want to do? You take a little bit of wine for your stomach. Some people can't just have a little bit of wine. You have to know where your grace is, where your freedom is. But again, if you're the type of person that is going to lower your ability in your mind, then you should stay away from it. And years ago, I would hear this argument constantly. But pastor... Marijuana was made by God. And maybe he did for some medicinal reasons. But is it also possible that it's one of the thorns and thistles that showed up after the fall? Do you know there's no weeds when the garden was first created? There was no thorns on roses when the garden was, garden was first created? Do you want to smoke them too? Well, Pastor, you know, Abraham had a couple of wives. Do I dare? <laughs> Some of the patriarchs had a couple of, couple of wives. But that's not the pattern that God set. That was a pattern that man, that man set. 
Andrew Womack says, I know how to take any church and reduce it in half. <laughs> Just teach the truth. Just teach the truth. There's a lot of stuff that's going on in this world that has seeped into the church that is drawing people away from God. You listening? You cannot be conformed to this world. That's what this translation here says it this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't copy the behavior, the activity, the way people conduct themselves. Well, pastor, are you saying that we're better than other people? Got nothing to do with being better. There is better and then there's different. We're not saying we're better, but we're certainly called to be different. 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 Turn to somebody, please. Look at you. You're looking at me like I just recited a death sentence. (laughs) Turn to somebody and say, we're supposed to be different. Well, this is the latest style. We're supposed to be different. Everybody's doing it. We're supposed to be different. I don't know, Anthony, it's tough tonight. Don't copy the behavior of the customs, but let God transform you into a new person. Metamorphosis. Let's talk about that and we'll probably stop here. The process is that is involved. You know this. You went to science class. The process involved to transform a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. It removes itself from its old surroundings, encases itself, allowing for the change to take place without any interruptions or interference from the outside world. I, if it was up to me, every person that got born again would immediately get whisked away and put in like at least the first year of a Bible school. Amen. And go learn. Get away. Be, be, do like a honeymoon thing. Just get away from everything in the world and go and get encased, encapsulated with God Amen. until you turn out, if you're ready to come out and you turn out to be this beautiful butterfly instead of this ugly, disgusting caterpillar that's crawling around. <laughs> all slimy and everything. Metamorphosis. That is the exact Greek word that is used there. Metamorphosis. Change. Transformation. Not, it's, you know, it's not even like, well, it becomes a cute caterpillar. No. It totally changes into a completely different thing. Butterfly. We need to be spending as much time as possible with God. Through prayer, through study of the word, worship. Church attendance. Why is church attendance so important? Because this is how we come together to get equipped for the rest of the week. It's important. And unfortunately, it's becoming less and less important to some people. Well, I could do this on my own. Okay, come back in five years. Let me know how it works out for you. We need each other. We sharpen each other. We, We... promote each other. We incentivize each other. We motivate each other. We, we encourage each other. We need each other. Nobody has ever been called to do this thing on, on their own. 
We're supposed to carry each other's burdens. We're supposed to lift each other up. We're supposed to have a word in season for each other. That's what we do. Amen? And that's a major part of transformation. Moses knew that he was, he, on the inside, he knew that he was born for much more than just hanging around the palace. There was a voice on the inside. And there's a voice on the, each side, on the inside of each and every one of us that's calling us to greatness. That's calling us to do more, be more. I don't mean in a material way, but to just be something greater in the kingdom of God. To just follow his leading. There's nothing that glorifies God more than when his children occupy their promised land. Amen. That brings God the greatest glory that there is. And the devil hates that. And that's why he tries to put so many obstacles in the way of every Christian so that they don't get into the promised land. Puts giants in their path. Puts great walls in their path. The threat of enemies. The threat of famine. The threat of plagues. All this other kind of stuff. There's always stuff that the enemy's throwing at us to try to stop us, the fear of failure, the, 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 the fear of, wanting, of, of, of taking a risk. There's no life of faith without taking a risk. There has to be. It's a necessary component of life. There's got to be risk. But then when you know the promiser, you understand, well, as long as I stay connected to him, the risk is going to get minimized and minimized and minimized. Amen. We can't stay slaves all of our lives. And we can't live in the shadow, not even the shadow of Egypt. We have to leave that old, disgusting, cursed world. Now, let me, let me go to the book of Acts. Say, what well, I thought we were in Exodus. Calm down. Because Moses' life is summarized by Stephen, the very first martyr of the church. He's brought on trial. And he gets the opportunity to speak, and it's, and it's documented for us here in Acts chapter 7, verse 23. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. Watch this now. Look at this. Look at this. Wait a minute. Wait, go back. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them. This is 40 years before the burning bush. He had it in him all that time, but he tried to do it in his own strength. He tried to make it happen. Are you seeing this? Did I stretch anything? Stephen says that Moses assumed that his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them. But this incident takes place way before the burning bush. In fact, he leaves and flees Egypt and goes to the area where, uh, where Mount Sinai is. And, at that, this, and 40 years goes by before the burning bush experience happens when God speaks to him and says, Go and get my people out of Egypt. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So for 40 years, he's carrying this in his heart. 40 years sooner than he was commissioned by God, he already knew in his heart. 
There are some of us, we know, we've known for a long time what God's wanting from us. We've known for a long time there's been a voice on the inside speaking to us. And God's wanting to prepare us for what the eventual step will be. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. Why? Because it wasn't time yet. Next verse. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Many said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? In other words, the calling on his life was not yet recognizable. But it doesn't mean he didn't have it in his heart. He knew on the inside. He just, he needed 40 years for God to prepare him. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Uh Uh-oh. When Moses heard that, he did what? He fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Is that it? There's more? Okay. So Stephen summarizes the life of Moses. But we see here, you see, so many times we judge the scriptures by what we watch in the movies. And the movies, it acts like Moses all of a sudden one day realized who he was. Or somebody came and told him. Or the, you know, the slave girl from Pharaoh's daughter comes and brings the blanket that he was wrapped in. That's not scriptural. It's not factual. He knew. Remember, when they found him in that little basket there, his sister said, should I go get a, one of the Israelite women to nurse him? And apparently, he lived with his mother for many years until he was weaned. Well, back then, and even today in some cultures, they breastfeed a child to they're five, six years old. Okay? So, so for, let's, say, let's say minimum five years. For the first five years of Moses' life, he knows who his relatives are. He knows who he is. Then he's brought to Pharaoh's palace to be raised. And I'm telling you, man, he had some life. Because if you go read the histories about Moses, especially Josephus' history of the Jews. I mean, Moses, Moses is a general, commander of the armies of Egypt, defeats the Ethiopian army. He was a great architect, a great engineer. Hollywood got some of that right. But this was a man who, he was, he was raised to be someone great and then has to, has to disconnect from that part of his life, go out and be a shepherd. Now, you understand, Moses is raised amongst Egyptians. They hate shepherds. They hate shepherds. So what does Moses have to become? He's got to become something that he was not raised to be used to. But God taught him how to shepherd his people during those 40 years. But he had to turn away from his dreams. And they were big dreams. You listening? So Moses knew that there was a calling. But he tried to step into it without leaving Egypt. He tried to do it without leaving Egypt. And you can't do it. You can't fulfill God's plan while you're in Egypt. You have to leave Egypt. You've got to leave the things of this world. You've got to leave the philosophies of this world. You've got to leave the customs of this world. And then God can deal with us. Amen? Amen. Did you learn anything tonight? Yes. It's 8.06. I have to stop. You going to come back next week? Yes. Is this helping you at all? Yes. I'm serious. Is it helping you? Yes. 
All right, good. So listen, if you need prayer for anything, come on up front and we'll pray with you. If not, God bless you. Don't forget to be here this weekend. We've got another great message coming. Amen? Amen. All right, we'll see you then.